You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk week, so that means I have my co-founder and good friend with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. (laughs) I appreciate you doing that in honor of the return of football season. (laughs) And in honor of one of the very early episodes of The Office. Yes. You know, you kind of wonder, you know, with stuff like that, is it like, is it still cool to do? You I don't, know, I don't think so. Yeah. See, <laughs> <laughs> man, you just played, you just, you just played me for the audience, but man. I think, like, but I think <laughs> you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> exactly. Which is, which is fine. About it, which like, is fine. It's who you are. I like it. Yeah, but it's like when you when you do something like that, or you mention like a movie, like oh man, I love the Princess Bride, and somebody's like, oh, you're dating yourself, mm-hmm. you're you're dating yourself there. I'm like, is that a th- is that a problem? I love that movie. Like, you got a problem with that? Yeah, I'm good. yeah. There's a lot of hypocrisy out there. Like, if I say I love the Princess Bride, I'm dating myself. But if there's like some young kid that's like, hey, so what's your favorite movie? And they're like, oh, I love Casablanca. They're like, oh, you're so refined. You're so cultured. <laughs> <laughs> You're so cultured, how do you? And you know right. that kid's bullshitting. Exactly. They know they like well, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, and then right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard like, somebody said it the other day. I was like, I can't remember who I was talking to. I was like, Hey, what are your favorite movies? And I think they named four movies I'd never heard of. And I'm like, Come no. on, come on, <laughs> come. On. Actually, yeah. you know what it was. Um, one of the movies, one of the movies was um, the. They said, "Oh, I love the dictator," and I just thought to myself immediately, oh. Sasha Baron Cohen. I said, yeah, "Oh, exactly what I thought." Because yeah. they said their favorite movie of all time was Airplane. So I was like, oh, "Okay, so you're a comedy guy. I like Airplane. Airplane. So this is this is outside of the box. I enjoy this. Let's have this conversation. We're drinking wine. Let's keep going." And I said, "So you're a Sasha Baron Cohen fan?" He goes, "No, I hate Sasha Baron Cohen." I was like, "What?" He goes, I'm talking about Charlie Chaplin's The Dictator. I said, motherfucker. <laughs> 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 like, really? Really? Uh, yeah. And by the way, for the per- if they, I'm going to tell you, if that person legit said, my favorite movie is The Dictator, then they trip him because that movie by Charlie Chaplin is called The Great Dictator. There you go. See, which is why that caused confusion when you asked the question. So that's right. Just putting it out there. And and I like what you're doing. I see what you're trying to put down. The subtlety of it is nice. I like the passive aggressiveness of it because uh, it would be like me saying um, my favorite movie is The Princess uh, Groom. What? The Princess (laughs) Groom? (laughs) Yeah. You know, the movie with uh, Carrie Ells and, you know. 
<laughs> right. Or Andre the Giant. The, and, and, or if you just said The Bride. Right. Yeah, the bride. Oh, my, favorite, my favorite movie, The Bride. The Bride. Oh, with Jennifer Lopez? Uh, like, exactly. No, nah, man. The Princess Bride. You yeah. got to put this, The Great Dictator. Yeah. Actually, the, <laughs> Jennifer Lopez is in The Wedding Planner. <laughs> yeah, she is. She is for sure. <laughs> but that came to my mind. So, yeah, that exactly. Exactly. If it's your favorite movie, if it's in your top three, you don't get the title wrong. You don't get the name yes. of it wrong. Thank okay. you. Exactly. Yeah. You're being pretentious. It's all good. I'm going to say favorite, it out loud. My favorite movie is but... American Gorgeous. <laughs> American Gorgeous. Right. <laughs> it's probably a movie. It yeah, probably is. American Beauty. Probably American yeah. Beauty. So so we are in a we are in a very unique week outside of sort of the return of America's major sports. Um we also had uh, we have the grand experiment happening right in front of us in the movie business. We have Tenet on the left being released worldwide in theaters. People are going out and they're that's right. As the audience. Yep. That. yep, I did. I love that. And then to the right, we have Mulan, who uh, has decided and Disney has decided to release on their Disney Plus app uh, exclusively for $30, $29.99 to be specific. And we're going to see which concept wins out. There are pros to con- pros and cons to each. Uh, tell us about Tenet, Nick. Yeah, so I just... You know, you, you follow the news and, you know, I think everybody's been waiting for this movie to come out. Right. It's like it's going to come out and then it's not and it's going to come out and it's not. And the trailer's got everybody, you know, clenching their booties like, whoa, this is the best thing since, you know, Endgame. And, um, you know, it comes out and yeah. it comes out in the theaters. I admit my booty was clenched. Yeah, for real. Like mm-hmm. and it comes out in the theaters. Right. But like what theaters? Like, I, you know, what, what theaters is this movie in? I don't know how many theaters, where those theaters are, but I heard it was a limited release. So I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of like a preview. You know, you get all the people in Hollywood to see it and comment on it. I get it, right? You put it out there for that. And then, you know, you turn and you look, and this movie's made $208 million. Yeah. Wow. What? Wait, what? Huh? (laughs) It was, wait, (laughs) it's a limited release? And it's made how much? So I think the movie was the budget was two hundred five. Yeah. Right. So it's already in its you know first couple of weeks making bank, and that's worldwide, right? So opening night, opening weekend, it made I think in in gross was twenty million, and then U.S. Canada it's made thirty million. All right. So yeah. U.S. Canada it's made thirty million. Worldwide, it's made two hundred eight million, mm-hmm. and that just has to do with leadership in other countries and and what their policy on theaters is and and how important that economy is to those countries. They probably need about a hundred and fifty million more in box office to make the movie profitable. All said and done, because as you know, that that two hundred eight million is cut in half by those big box theaters. Um, but it's going to make its money back. As a matter of fact, there's a saying in, in the movie business, which is that every every movie makes its money back. The question is, is it going to make it back in two years or two hundred? Yeah, but you know, and I, and I question. Here's here's one of the things I question. Right, I don't know enough mm-hmm. about it. I might have to do some, depending on which side of the camp you are. It's either research or research. So I'm going to have to do some research on this to figure out 
are they changing the game on what counts as a box office, you know, ticket during COVID? What do you mean? Explain like, that. Go, go into that like, a little bit. Like, 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 what if what if it shows at a uh, like a drive-in theater or some new type of you know viewing experience? You know, I imagine places like let's say like in China, they're like, all right, we're gonna put this movie out in like let's call it like Tiananmen Square. Like, we're gonna put something out in this big open space, and you get like a thousand people sitting back to back. You know, because if you sit back to back, you can't get COVID, right? Because if you sneeze, it's going to go straight forward. It doesn't go back. <laughs> Is that the physics problem where two trains going in opposite directions at the same speed? Exactly. And one person can shoot a bullet from the back of it. It'll never reach the other person. It'll never reach the other one. So yeah. if you sneeze, it only goes forward. All right. Just letting you all know. So this. you got a thousand people right, right back to back and they purchase tickets and they go see this movie. Does that count as box office? Now, I'm just saying that, and, and here's the other thing that I'm curious about. I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just curious about mm. is that we know that there are some musicians who have bought their own music in order to go platinum. Mm-hmm. Okay, they just buy their back in the day. They buy their own CDs, right? Like that's what they would do. Well, so, there's um, another thing that happens in the music business, which the reason I'm qualified to talk on this is because I started in entertainment in the music business with my own singing group named Solace. And the way that sales worked back in the day, like pre-Napster and maybe a little bit afterwards, is that you got to report shipped numbers, not sold numbers. So if if at the time, let's say Sam Goody, I'm dating myself. Oh, snap. Let's say Sam Goody or Blockbuster Music. Oh, my God. I just I did, oh, it. I did wow. it twice. I did it twice. You did it again. If they wanted Nick Bugs' latest album, Sexual Chocolate, uh, and they wanted three million copies of it, then, that, then you could report that you went three times uh, platinum, even though you haven't sold those copies. They just have them. And depending on the contract between the buyer and the seller, there might be a cap on how many the seller can return back to the, uh, or the buyer can return back to the seller. Meaning some of those you could genuinely say, Hey, those are out the door. Those cannot be returned. So whether somebody buys them or not is the sellers, the ultimate buyer's problem, right? To sell those. And you're good to go. So anyway, that was a sidebar just to say that there are a lot of, there are a lot of games that get played and, like the the whole click farm in China thing that that, to, that drives followers, social media, and the whole journalism business right now is mind boggling. I would tell anybody to go Google click farm click China farm, yep. and find out what <laughs> what really runs and keeps the doors open at your favorite newspaper. Anyway, go ahead, Nick. But that's the type of thing that I'm talking about. It's like again, I don't know that it's happening, right? But we know that the system can be gamed, right? It's designed that way. And, you know, not to take anything away from what is potentially a, you know, a phenomenal film, but I do it in my mind with this limited release, again, I understand that most of it's not even happening here, right? Again, in USA, in Canada, 30 million out of 200, right? Is Mm -hmm. what they're getting at the box office. But I look at that, I'm like, really that many people overseas, like, flock to see this movie or 
is there some game afoot which isn't necessarily nefarious, right? It's more like we can help save the industry with one of these great films, right? Let's just say it's a great film um, and letting people know that, hey, look, it's still doing well theatrically. You know, like it's safe to a degree to come back. And if you're making great content, it's going to win, right? So let's game it just to get people comfortable again and, you know, don't let everything go straight to Netflix, right? Don't let it all come out in streaming. There's still a, there's still a platform here for theaters. Yeah, that is, that is interesting because essentially what you're saying is, Hey, 55 million of that two two Oh eight came out of North America. But I think, when you think, well, so, so that I get what you're trying to say, but think about China. It's the second largest box office in the world. United States really hasn't opened their theaters and people really, they have, but people really haven't gotten comfortable going nationwide, especially in the big epicenters like New York and California, where there's a lot of traffic to theaters in general, um, Chicago, China is the second biggest box office in the world. And then what's around China? Right, you have a Seoul, um, not Seoul, South Korea, which is a massive movie market. India, which is a massive movie market, and so there's a chance that that the they could have brought in that money, you know, at the box office. But I like your question before, like, what do tickets cost there? Is it a premium item there, or is it a discounted item there? What what is that money like? Um, has the U.S. dollar been so inflated through COVID that the uh, exchange rate between the monies is is n- no longer favorable for the dollar in every place so that people actually, you're actually getting more dollars for less viewers. You see what I'm saying? So you can report yeah. $208 million because the dollar is worth less than it was, you know, at any point previous because it continues to, to get devalued as, as, as we print more money to to flood the market and you know prop up the economy or whatever. So the other reason is outside of sort of the thought that there could be some um it's a, look, it's a highly shrouded industry Nick. So yeah, there could be some bullshit at play. But I think if you want to look at it on the up and up and say okay, this is possibly what's happening here. The other thing is they have very little competition. Can you name another movie that's out at the theater to compete against it? Oh yeah, not at all. Right. Um, it's just it's just those numbers, you know, in a you know COVID world, you know, seem crazy. And even when I look at it, like you know, like you said, there's some bullshitty going on. Like I like I said, I don't necessarily think it's nefarious. Right. It could just be an invitation. Mm-hmm. You know, like they are working their industry magic to invite other people to show their movies in theaters. Like you know, hey, look, we're doing it. You can too. Yeah. And so let's, let's talk about, let's talk about Mulan. I'm fascinated by this as I am Tenet, by the way. And Tenet is the movie that I'm probably most excited to see over the summer. Mulan releases on Disney plus for $29.99 and on its face, it is a better value than going to the theater. Now it requires you to download Disney plus 
And I think that it's important for me not to live in a vacuum or in some myopic bubble and assume that everybody has the same resource allocation, right? So there are a lot of people, like 80% of the United States, who have to literally make the choice, am I going to keep Netflix or am I going to keep HBO Max, right? right. And yep. before you know it, every streamer will have a price associated with it and you'll have to, you know, you'll pay as much in subscription fees as you were paying in cable. And so you thought you were cutting the cord and they just followed you to where you went and then put a different price on it and then allowed you to, and then made it modular. Essentially, they allowed you to customize your viewing experience by picking which content you want, right? Like you mentioned the office earlier, it's going to be very interesting for Netflix when Peacock takes the office away in January. Because right, yeah. all said and done, the office, which is so crazy when you think about the money that Netflix has poured into original content, that the office is the number one stream show really across the board consistently for the entire year of 2020 uh, on Netflix. Now, the crown is coming back in the winter and the crown is great. So they're hoping that will boost it and that will. But they 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 need a plan uh, to to sort of adjust to losing the office. And by the way, Reed Hastings has a book that is coming out and everybody in film should go get it. Cause I think you'll learn a lot about Netflix and about the uh, business as it is today, you know, from that book. So, but more on that later. So anyway, it releases here. You, you download Disney plus you pay the $30 and look, your entire family can watch it for that one flat rate price. So, to spend $30 normally, you would that'd be two tickets at the theater, basically on average across the nation. And when I watched Mulan, we had a whole room full of people. We had like we had like 10 or 11 people in the room watching it all together. That would have been hundreds of dollars the traditional way. But that's the consumer point of view. From Disney's point of view, these are these are, you know, corporate executives are saying, well, wait a second. We just lost all that profit margin. <laughs> we just lost all that revenue. Had we let, yep. had we let Mulan out of the theater like Tenet did, then we could be boasting $400 million week one profit because Mulan is something that could be watched by everyone. So the, yeah. the, the question is, is, and this is what I'm so fascinated about is, is will Disney be... Will they, will they prioritize and value the exclusivity they have and their ability to take all their movies and run them on Disney Plus as um, premium features of their service and have all the ancillary benefits of data collection, multiples of, of millions of, of new net new subscribers and downloads of their application and just everything that sort of comes with constant, you know, viewership of, of their technology, of their, of their streaming service, or will they prioritize the theater experience that's far, far more profitable, even after, you know, the box office split, because they can still take the movie and put it back on their service later and then get, get all those gains as well, even charging for it if they wanted to on Disney plus, you know, later down the line. So it's it's a really interesting economic problem, Nick. That uh, I think Disney is facing, uh, or maybe even opportunity. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, so I haven't seen it yet. And I'm just letting you know that I am in the camp of $30 for a movie. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I was at that for $20 for a movie. And here's why. Because my family hasn't been into the theatrical experience, like going to the movie theater, in years. Like, it hasn't been a COVID thing. We just haven't been going to the movies. Why? Because I got a five-year-old. Yeah. And last year— Why do that know, to say, all the other people in the theater? Well, just how, why do that to us? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, remember, so like, I remember I went to go see Passion of the Christ, and people were, like, really riled up about it religiously. And I remember I went— to see the 10 o'clock screening of it and multiple, multiple people had brought their babies and children to come watch passion of the Christ, uh, as a lesson, as like a sermon at night. Anyway, it was, it was not a, the, the kids were terrified. Of course they were. Or, or bored and they were screaming in there. It was, it was, it was quite, uh, it was quite the scene. Yeah, but we, like I said, we got, we got a five-year-old, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, four and three years old, you know, she might get bored, you know, mid-movie, mm-hmm. right? And then that's on my wife, right? She's going to get on my wife's lap, tell her she wants to go to the bathroom, tell her she's hungry, <laughs> tell her she wants. So it's like, it's just, we, we're not doing that, right? We're just going to do it at home. We're going to watch whatever. I don't care what it is. We're going to watch it at home, right? So we just got the, the home theater situation going on. We got a, you know, decent sized screen and some sound, you know, it's good. It works. We got a bathroom. We can pause. Like we do all the things at home, right? So we've really doubled down on the home theater experience. So we haven't been doing that. We haven't been going out. So, you know, I hear it a lot, you know, people saying, well, if I went to the theater, then it would be like you said, you know, two tickets, $30. It's worth it. I'm like, wait, no, hadn't been worth it for me in a minute. Well, it sounds like you're making the opposite argument that that you like being at home and therefore it's worth whatever price they charge because you don't have to leave no. with your five year old. No, 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 no. I'm saying there's three hundred seventy eight thousand other options for me to watch. Oh, right? got it. For for free or for nine ninety nine, that I'm worth it. it like it. if I want to buy it or I rent it for three ninety nine, like. But it's not. But it's not first run content. To be fair, but 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 it doesn't matter. So you're so you're saying is you don't value you don't value the you're not valuing you, you're not valuing the packaged sort of experience of watching something while it's relevant. No, and especially because the social experience around it is kind of like died, you know, for us, and especially in, in the COVID times, right? Like. It's one thing when, let's say, like my kids, let's say my nephews, right? So my kids' cousins, uh, they saw a movie. Mm-hmm. And then my kids would go hang out with the cousins, and they'd be talking about how great the movie was and all this stuff. And then i get pressured into buying the movie for my kids because I don't want them to feel left out. Well, they haven't hung out with the cousins in a little while, right? There's no conversations about how great Mulan was. So my kids are good. Mm-hmm. You know, my kids aren't physically going to school anymore, Right. There's no conversations about what they could have missed out on. My kids are good. But right. For so you, but at, for you personally, it had it been tenant, you might have spent the money. Might have. But the other part about that is this. With tenant, if it had come out streaming, what you're asking me for with the 30 bucks is you're asking me to buy it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're suggesting to me that I want to watch it again. Yes. 
that's the kicker for me with all these movies is that will I want to watch it again? Right. And with my kids, with myself, there's honestly very few movies that I'm just like, oh, man, that was so great. I'm going to have to watch it again. Yeah. So even movies that we end up buying because there's no rental option, I get mad. Right. I did it for my kids, but then I'm mad because we don't want to watch it again. You know, the kids just won't. They're like, we watched, we just watched that three years ago. We don't want to watch that again. I'm like, y'all made me buy that movie for $24.99. Y'all going to sit down at breakfast and you're going to watch the movie again. <laughs> 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 like, it's it's so true. I, I, I still yeah, buy Blu-rays and DVDs, but I have to admit that a lot of it is very emotional. It's not yeah, logical. You got to have a tie to it. You got to have a tie to it, man. I bought Interstellar on Blu-ray because I just yeah. wanted to know I could watch Interstellar again if I ever needed to cry or weep. And yeah, then also be blown away by the cinematography and all that stuff. It is it is unbelievable. I, I just watched it. Now, now, here's the thing. When a movie is great, you will watch it again. That so it's like I, I hear what you're saying. It's like if and it fits for 80% of all the film that's made, but for that other 20%, so when Interstellar came out, I watched it with two or three other groups. So I'd watch it in the theater. I spent that money three times. Then I bought the D, the Blu-ray. And I've seen it twice at home. With the Blu-ray, it's not a short movie, bro. This is like a three-hour right. film. I know. So I've dedicated a decent swath of my life to this film, right. and, and and because it's great, right? That's all about that experience. It wasn't really just about the movie; it's about the groups, right? Even more so. So, like for for me at home, let's get it back to Milan, right? Like, like what am I going to get for that thirty bucks? Mm. Like that's that's the deal. Like I, I'm going to get this movie, which first off. That movie's PG thirteen. Yeah, but I don't know why. I mean, it's that, I guess the, I guess like, violence maybe. Yeah, but come on, man, how are you gonna do that? Like Disney went on on a limb with that because Disney movies aren't PG thirteen like that. Like not Mulan. You know what I'm saying? Not like you're gonna make Beauty and the Beast PG thirteen. No, I mean, well, anyway. if it's live action and no, none of those movies are PG thirteen, dude. Like, I know, but it, but if you make it, up. I know, but if you make it live action. Then all of a sudden, there's a little, you know, R and R in the bedroom with Beast and Bill. Oh, you sound money if they if they did it if, and they, if they made it live that. action. Yeah, it would probably be PG thirteen, right? Because you would want to. When it's people, you kind of have to show the passion. I mean, you don't have to because Beauty and the Beast already came out and it was PG. Cinderella came out, it was PG. Aladdin came out, it was PG, and you know now this one came out PG thirteen. My point is yes. now they shut my kids out of watching the movie because it's PG-13. So besides that, it's $30, and the experience isn't there, and I cannot guarantee that my children will watch this thing again. So when I look at spending my 30 bucks, I'm like, Where's, what am I investing in, right? Mm -hmm. So with you, you had 10, 20 people come over to watch this and, and have an experience around the movie. <laughs> now, if I get some family members who want to come watch, yeah, okay, I'll go and do it. Because of I'm course. creating an experience for the family. I will do it. It's like buying a pay-per-view boxing match. Exactly. Or, or so UFC that's fight. The key. That's the key. But right? we that's spend $100 it. to buy that. Right. So that's it. With Mulan, you spend thirty dollars. Everybody comes over; they have a great time. Somebody brings wine that already cancels it out, right? Exactly. So, but real quick though, some of my 
in-laws when we told them about, so we got a little backyard sitch going on, a little mm-hmm. theater situation going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, we might do the Mulan thing on the theater in the backyard. And my in-laws were like, great. That sounds awesome. Let us know when you're going to do it. We'll be over there. And my wife was like, cool, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And then it was like crickets. And my wife didn't understand. I was sitting there like looking at her like, like she crazy. And she didn't understand why I'm looking at her. <laughs> so when I got a second away, right, I got to talk to her on mm-hmm. the side. And I was like, mm-hmm. baby, you got to sell tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we gonna make this an experience. I'll make popcorn and all that stuff, but they gotta buy in. It's seventeen ninety nine. You got popcorn, eight ninety nine per you know, popcorn. I, I think the mate I love that. And I think there's nothing wrong with you being entrepreneurial. Exactly. Uh, I, I always love an entrepreneur, but but here's the here's the thing. Here's what it really comes down to. It doesn't even come down to me and you. The reason Mulan was a greenlit movie is because they have captured an audience that was already there. Of course. That they knew was looking forward to this movie more than any other, more than Tenet, more than any other movie. They were looking forward to this movie. People have been tracking its release day for months. And so while me and you might look at it from different perspectives and say, well, that's, you know, that's me and you. I don't think Mulan is for two, you know, black guys. <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> like, I, I just don't think it's for us. And and so right. I think, I think going back to the issues, like I think Disney has a, has a prioritization sort of economic uh, consideration on their hand, because if this ends up being massively successful, then it's like, Hey, we have a, a, a zero, margin product, right? It doesn't cost us anything for for more and more people to watch our product, to consume it. We take a hit a little bit on the profit side, potentially, uh, on, on box office, but we control the game. So uh, I'm wondering how that will play out. Whereas with Tenet, you can see it's very, very much driven by studio and, and, and by Christopher Nolan and the sort of Nolan Brothers. Like, hey, we want this was meant to be seen in a theater. This was meant to be seen yeah. a certain way. And I think right. there's a lot of that in there too. And that is also, you know, very valid. So we'll see how this plays out and see what we get in the future, or maybe we get a, a combo platter a little bit, a little bit of both. Um, the second thing we want to talk about today is, is this idea of um, producing content where you are and you've heard us say that before, something that that we have repeated since uh, our Ryan Hartsock interview, where he uh, mentioned produce where you are, and, and, and some of his mentors had shared that advice with him. Produce where you are doesn't mean shoot where you are, Nick. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very different. And I think if you're going to be an independent film, and you, you have to look at trying to make your movie as inexpensively as possible and trying to get to sort of equity zero if, if you can, meaning the movie's paid for by soft dollars almost in its entirety before you have to go out and get uh, money from angels and, and private equity or, you know, individuals. And so um, I don't know if you have your, or what your thoughts on, on that are Nick, but, but we look at the tax incentives across the board and, I don't know why 
you get the sense that a lot of independent filmmakers don't want to leave the place they're in. They're going to, and they're going to shoot where they are. And sometimes that's to the detriment of their film, Nick. Yeah. And I think, so I hear you. Right. And, um, but I still believe that the whole idea of producing where you are, it still holds water even today in this kind of crazy mixed up world that we're in. And it's not really about just, I don't know, being a lazy or, you know, just doing what's familiar. It's more about, I think you have a greater opportunity to engage an audience, engage a community where you are. Like, you know, your hometown, right? You know, people, your family has connections, your friends have connections. Uh, you have people who are cheerleading for you. You know, you've got that where you are. Um, also you have people who, you know, also are from where you are and they're trying to do the same thing, right? They're trying to either level up or they're trying to get opportunities and there's a greater chance for you to connect with them and, and make content. So I think when you produce where you are, the idea is, you know, it isn't, it isn't just like you said, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a cop out. Right. And it's not like you're not trying to take advantage of those things that are, exist elsewhere. Like if you film in Puerto Rico, maybe you get like a 30% tax incentive versus somewhere else where you get 15. It's like the idea that if you produce where you are, you can leverage the resources that are available to you there and you have the potential to leverage an audience. And I feel like that's the one of the main things that indie filmmakers need is it isn't just the good content that you create. It's also the audience that you're bringing to that content. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when you produce where you are, you're saying that I am from this place and this is content that speaks to the experiences of this place. It speaks to the culture of this place. And it's a lot easier to, to get the audience to come out, see your stuff than it is if you're like, you know what, in order to make this thing, I need to head out to Hollywood, you know, or like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of stuff happening in Georgia. Pinewood Studios is there. I think, you know, Avengers is probably shot there. Like a, so much stuff is happening in Georgia these days. But if you pick up and go to Georgia and you try to compete with the people who are filming in Georgia, that might not work out for you. Right. right. So producing where you are is about leveraging your resources, leveraging the community and building an audience where you are for the content that you have. That's I think. So I think it still holds water because of that. Yeah. And George is a unique situation. Most of the movies that are blockbusters are made in, in Canada. Um, and then and then right after that is is Georgia and. George is unique because well they do a transferable tax credit. They have a 20% you know tax credit which seems like whoa, why would anyone want to go there if it's 20%? Well, you get a 10% uplift if you put the made in Georgia logo, which is why you always see it on every TV show and movie that's made in Georgia because yep. who would turn down an additional 10% uh just to add a logo at the end of a credit that Maybe you see it, maybe you don't. Um, but the biggest thing to me is that they don't have a cap. And there are only a handful of states that don't have an incentive cap. Uh, Connecticut is one, Illinois is one, Massachusetts is one. But but most places have a cap on how much you can get. Like So, for example, Tennessee, wh where I am, they have a $22 million cap, which means there would be 
with a 25% uh, tax credit, uh, you can get a 5%. You can get up to 30% in Tennessee uh, if you use a local crew. But if you have your own crew, it's 25%. And that basically means there's no reason whatsoever for you to make a film that costs more than, than $88 million. And so you're like, well, that's a lot of money. And you're right. So you can make films up to $88 million in Tennessee before it doesn't make any sense. But if you're a giant blockbuster, if you're like you mentioned in Avengers, well, your movie's going to cost 200 or tenant, like we said earlier, it's going to cost 200 million. And so you need to make it in a place that doesn't have an incentive cap. And so, but in indie film, I don't think you, you have an issue. I think it's, it's one of these things where you want to look at the, the percentage and the, and, and the soft dollar type and say, well, how much do I have to shoot there? And how much do I have to spend there in order to get the incentive? And I, I think if you can decide that as a, you know, as an, as an independent film, then you can make smarter decisions. So if I, if I want to produce where I am and I produce here in Nashville, I might want to shoot part of my movie in Massachusetts where I only have to spend $50,000 there to get a 25% tax return. That that's, I think that's my point, but to your point, I think I go back to the Terry Ritter interview from last week where she's like, okay, I think we're going to see a ton of web series come out and web series work when you produce where you are, Nick. That's right. And I think that's where, you know, so I, I basically asked the question to, you know, people listening right now. It's like, you know, are you shifting? Are you adjusting? Are you looking for opportunities to make it, you know, in the industry and saying, you know, if you read the tea leaves and the tea leaves are saying web series, are you flexible? Are you agile enough to switch into a web series and out of maybe the feature film that you had thought? would be the best thing since sliced bread. And the reason why I think, you know, web series is such a great idea outside of even just the advice of, you know, Terry Ritter, who's, you know, been in the industry for many a year and started her own, you know, talent agency. It's because it's content, right? It's a lot of content. It's more content than a single film, right? Mm-hmm. So we look at a single film, what do you get? Like 80 to 90 minutes, right? So that's an hour and a half. And independent filmmakers will often bank their entire filmmaking career on that one film. Whereas a web series could be, I mean, now with Quibi, what is it? 10 minutes, but like you yeah, can go sometimes anywhere five. From, yeah. I mean, you can go anywhere from, you know, say five minutes to 30 minutes, maybe an hour on a web series and you're producing tons of content. Right. And, and what's the value of producing tons of content is that you get to make mistakes Right. And then people who are watching get to be along for the ride. Right. Like that's the thing. Like some people can be with you, but like, oh, I don't know about that one. But if they had done this a little bit differently, you start to get a little bit better. They're like, oh, okay. They, they, they fixed their game up a little bit. Now they're calling their friends and hey, you should check this thing out. It started out a little wonky, but hey, they're getting their stuff together. And then there's just content after content after content, just episode after episode after episode. You know, you and I had the conversation about what's taking over the game right now, even on Netflix is all these social influencers, right? People on Instagram, you know, uh, Miranda sings. I think she was big on Instagram. And well, now she was she's big got on YouTube. Big, 
Yeah, YouTube. That's what. Yeah, she was big on YouTube, and now she's got at least two films. I think that are on. I think one series and one film that's on Netflix, and then you've got you know different uh, folks that are on uh, TikTok or other places that are getting deals that are showing up on Netflix. Like, it's about content, right? These people are building audiences around content, and for the indie filmmaker, that's potentially the switch right now, right? Switch out of the idea that that one film is going to get you to where you want to go. No, maybe it's just a series of content where you just get better and better and better over time. That's the thing that's going to get you there. So yeah, the idea of doing a web series, I think is a, is an awesome idea. I think it gives you more options for uh, distribution. Um, you know, you could distribute on YouTube if you wanted to, you could distribute it on TikTok or Instagram, depending on how long your content is. It just gives you more options for getting your content in front of people, gives you more options for building an audience, uh, which is really hard to do when you're doing just a single independent film. You know, again, you look at an hour and 30 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes versus, you know, what a thousand hours versus content that someone can develop with a, with a web series. Yeah. And with their phone. Quite frankly, and, and maybe a, yeah. a gimbal or and a tripod and, and two soft lights, uh, if they if they wanted yeah. to get down to that. I, exactly. I, I think we might look back at COVID and say this was the the trigger that legitimized web series and different types of content in ways we we never imagined before. Because if we go back to 2019 we always look at web series as lesser than we say, okay, this is somebody, it was basically a TV star's version of creating a short. It's like, okay, you made right. a short okay. film so you can have a concept for a feature or, or you just need to, you know, keep busy. So you made a short film and that's yeah, what, right. web, what, what a web series was like. It was like, Oh, you made a web series. You're a comedian, comedic actor. You want to have your own pilot and you keep chucking along and, and hopefully somebody sees your web series and gives you a shot to yep. do something bigger. Well, now you don't need to do anything bigger. <laughs> now the web series <laughs> is your shot and you can make, you can make it where you're at. And it's like this thing where we all got used to watching people on digital devices and even over zoom and, and watching their lives, like just really consuming their lives. And you see all these TikTok stars that have emerged and, a lot of those those stars are truly confused because they they're so young and they say, I don't know what it is. It's just um, it's just people wanting to see what I'm doing every day. There's a voyeuristic nature to it that can be taken advantage of of if you're a a filmmaking creative. Because I think that a lot of the stars we talk about right now they're they're not filmmaking creatives. They have a team because they have a bunch of followers and they have agents. But when they started, they were just a kid, like doing stuff yeah. on their phone and really didn't have, you, you know, that type of background. So for those that have that background, they want to create a web series, create, um, doesn't have to actually be a web series where you go to a website to see it. Uh, it can just be you creating content that people enjoy and that you have a set day that you come out with. So similar to what Andrew Schultz, the comedian does, he releases a monologue every Saturday and that monologue gets watched by three to 5 million people every Saturday. And you can just count on that. Okay. And then that drives everything else that he's doing. So, and by the way, those are brilliant and hilarious. And, uh, everyone, everyone should go watch Andrew Schultz's uh, monologues that he lets out on Saturday on Instagram and on YouTube. But yeah. And then the other thing I'll touch on that you said is distribution. 
Yep. The distribution rabbit hole goes much deeper than any of us really can imagine. We think about the big boys that we mentioned on social media, but there are over 300 social media sites alone. Um, podcasting has blown up uh, in this year because people have more free time to listen to stuff, and that's driven the industry to create some big players like Spotify and Apple, of course, and Stitcher, et cetera. But it's and, and all these multi, multivariate sort of podcast networks all around the country. But also, it's because there's more distribution points that have been created. And now you can put your podcast into like a hundred different places. So every day you wake up, uh, if you if you're a filmmaker, you can put your web series or your web content or in, or digital content in a in a new place every day you wake up and say, okay, I'm going to exploit that spot. Now I'm going to exploit that spot. I'm going to go to that spot and really um, create the future. So I'm I'm with Terry Ritter. I'm with you. I'm excited to to see what happens. I think produce where you are. Uh, is is a valid statement, but shoot where you are doesn't have to be. I think when it comes to shoot where you are, it's shoot shoot your film in a way in which you won't be in a ton of debt and pain. Uh, should your film not do as great as you hoped it, it it was going to do? A lot of filmmakers, and we'll say indie filmmakers, will spend a lot of time paying attention to what's outside of their industry, right? Like outside of their market. Let's put it that way. Not outside the industry, but outside of their market. And, you know, basically it's like watching the red carpet, right? Watching all the things that are happening. But that that club, right, is like 10 steps removed from where they are. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, it's like, okay, how do we relate what's happening in that club to the indie filmmaker and how the indie filmmaker can excel? How, can, how they can get to that next level or how they can learn lessons from what's happening in that space. And I think that's why we geek out. Like we could go on forever about this stuff because it's like we're paying attention to that thread. Right. Right. Like we're not starstruck by stuff. Exactly. Right. Like that's not the point. Yeah. Like we're not sitting here, like, oh, Mulan, oh, Tenet. No, 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 no. What does that mean for us? Like what does that mean for the indie filmmaking community and the conversation around what people are watching and how does that apply? Like, you know, that's, that's, that's what we do. I think that's why we get all excited about this stuff. Yeah, no question, because even the conversation we just had about producing where you are for a feature film or shooting where you are for a feature film versus the sort of next wave of content, which is short form digital content and web series. The question I have coming out of it for independent filmmakers and for this audience is, is how how can we get to a place where we talk to governments about creating incentives for those types of content pieces so that you don't have to make a feature film in order to get a soft dollar rebate. You know, what, what can you do about digital content that's being created or web content that's being created where you are actually hiring people and bringing in tourism around your, around your programming. So maybe for another conversation, Nick, but that's a big question that jumped to my mind. Do you have any final thoughts for this audience as, as we wrap up this indie talk? Well, I will say, um, you know, if you decide to do the Mulan thing for 30 bucks, then make it an experience, you know, invite some people over who have been COVID tested <laughs> or the you COVID trust. I think that's a new mm. thing. You know, if, if, if you, if you, if you COVID trust them, 
<laughs> you know, let him in the house. But like, you know, making a make an event about it and and you know get the most out of your money. But uh, final thoughts to my audience, to the folks that are out there, the wonderful indie creatives that uh, inspire us to do what we do every day. I'll just say, you know, be better, be creative, and be engaged. 100%. And as always, you can find us on social media ourselves, on Instagram, on Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. We'll come right up. If you have questions, concerns, feedback for us, we love all that stuff. You can email us at contact at bonsai.film. So it's B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. And we'll get back to you on that for sure. Uh, last but not least, please do visit www.bonsai.film. We have a plethora of resources there for you. And if you're working on a feature film or a project and you want to get more of this bonsai goodness in your life, you can also uh, set up a consultation with us uh, at our website, which is again www.bonsai.film. Nick, thank you so much, man. I appreciate the conversation. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right. All right, man. You take it easy. Enjoyed it. Peace. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.